Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the DNB Supply Show podcast. Hey, this is Matt Breckwald, and thank you so much for being here with us again today. And today, I am excited to have Gretchen Anderson back on the show. Gretchen is just such a wealth of information. She's an advanced master gardener and an advanced master food safety advisor uh, through the University of Idaho, as well as an author of books and writer of articles and a blogger for D&B Supply. So uh, we're going to talk all about how to get your garden going and all the reasons why gardening is such a great thing. So Gretchen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming hey, Matt. on. Hey, good to talk to you again. Yeah, it is always a pleasure for me when our paths cross and I get to interview you. Sure, as as it is for me as well. How's your garden? <laughs> well, you know, that's funny you say that. Our garden has diminished over the years, but we've been planning on fencing off a new garden area, and that project is actually beginning. As, uh, on the day we record this, that project is beginning tomorrow. So uh, it's going to be uh, new and improved this year. Well, good work. And what can I ask what, uh, what you all plan on growing? Well, you know, we always grow tomatoes. Uh, we always like mm-hmm. to grow peppers. Uh, I always like to grow corn, but I, I find a separate place on the farm to grow corn just because uh, I want more of that, and that takes up more room. Um, my wife loves to grow squash, uh, and my daughter loves to grow the cherry tomatoes. So we'll have full-sized tomatoes and cherry tomatoes as well. And uh, then after that, well, we'll probably get kind of creative. I like to grow okra. So I'll, oh, grow, I'll really? grow some okra. Yeah, I like, I like deep-fried okra. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, that, you know, that's the, that's the first question that we always ask when people uh, take classes from us as master gardeners, what do you like to eat and what do you like to grow? Because that's the, that's the main thing you should be doing first and foremost is what you eat, you should grow. Mm -hmm. Then you don't have to buy it at the store and it's so much more delicious. You know where it came from. And uh, it, and you get out and work in the, the soil, and it's a good thing for all around. Yeah, I think so, too. I think there's uh, there's something you get from working outside in the sunshine and getting your fingers in the dirt that uh, you don't get from sitting in a, at a desk or at a cubicle or something like that. I think it's great for people. Mm-hmm. Um, there are millions of gardeners in our country, and I think that we're going to see the the practice of gardening. Some call it a pastime. Some call it a hobby. Uh, some call, call it a necessity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll see it increase here uh, shortly because of, of many, many reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into it then. So, uh, you know, as as people are are ramping up for this, what is your advice? What do you tell people in terms of getting started? Where do they need to begin? I think where they need to begin is to take a look at what they have available to them out in their backyard. Is it all grass? Do they need to take out a little bit of grass and do a little garden bed? Do they not want to do that? And do they want to try and grow in like patio containers, so pots and uh, garden containers of sorts? So that's what you look at first. And then the second thing is soil, soil, soil. Okay, that was the third, fourth, and fifth thing, right? <laughs> okay. Soil is so important. And and here's a really good example. I did some raised beds about three years ago and um, made them quite high uh, so that I could sit on the edge and garden. Four feet wide, eight feet long, and um, probably about three feet high. And we had to fill, fill, fill them with compost and 
And um, I just heard today, why didn't I just put straw bales in the bottom of them? Mm-hmm. Certainly could have. That yeah. could have that could have taken uh, the the issue away right then and there of, of filling it so full with with all sorts of compost and then um, soil. Mm-hmm. But we topped it with really good soil from DMB. Went out and picked up several yards of great um, garden soil, and then there, I want to call it there's they have a mountain compost, and mix that all together and put that in. And for the last three years, Matt, I have had zero weeds in any of those beds, really? and I have had an explosion, an explosion of uh, harvest from those three beds and it's all about soil and boy if i didn't believe it before that i do now and so i've amended my old beds that i have and i put more soil on and uh and more compost and it makes a huge difference so you want to start with and i and i'm telling it i think if you're going to do any kind of patio gardening which you could sure do right now you could just pull out a big uh container whether it's a big um uh, any kind of garden container and uh, fill it with half with soil and half with compost. Those garden containers, if you're doing a, a patio garden, you want to go about 50% compost. Okay. And it'll make a big difference. Interesting. Okay. Well, I, you know. So those are the first things to consider. Okay. okay. So <laughs> when you're talking about the raised beds, uh, what are the advantages of doing it that way versus just going right into the soil? Well, one is <clears throat> with raised beds, you always want to have a bed that you can reach across. So four feet is probably the widest that you want in terms of raised beds. Okay. You also don't ever want to step into the raised bed itself. It's not soil that you want to compact. Uh, naturally, of course, it will compact, but you don't want to step on it. And the theory is you're not going to have a lot of weed issues in raised beds and as we have an aging society who likes to garden, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to garden from a raised bed than it is from a regular bed. Okay. So for th- those are several reasons. Um, I, I just, I'm kind of a, a personality and, I, <laughs> and, and I like the way they look. <laughs> okay. okay. And I can, and I rotate my crops. I have five raised beds now, big beds. I have two, oversized beds that uh you have to get on each side to reach across so they're they're six feet wide and as i became and they were pre-master gardener training so as i became a master gardener we learned it's best just to do a four foot wide okay that's probably the widest you want Mm -hmm. okay now why do you i know you talked about the soil but how does over time how does raise how do raised beds help you eliminate that weed issue well, gen- generally, you aren't getting the um, influx of of weed seeds in there. Okay. And if you do get any weeds, you know, they're, they're easily, very easily uh, cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just much easier to maintain with it being up off the ground, not having to get Absolutely. down on your knees, bend over as far, all that. Yes. Okay. There you go. And so, what do you, do you find when you do that? So. When you use raised beds and you're looking at the area that you're placing them on, are you giving up some potential space to be growing uh, different vegetables and, and things like that in order to place the raised beds there? And and if so, do does having it in a raised bed, does it kind of make up for that loss of square footage? Uh, 
I, you know, I've never looked at it as a loss of square footage. And that is a really good question, Matt, because I think that it could be looked that way, uh-huh. looked at that way. Um, I think uh, we have a, a good mix of listeners to your podcast. Some of them are are full, you know, wholeheartedly into agriculture and they're farming. They're farming many right. acres. And then we have the group who listens to this podcast and they have the backyard, right? Yep. So aesthetically, it's a little more difficult to just um, kill off some of the turf, right? Which, Mm -hmm. boy, have we done that on our uh, near half acre in in a suburban neighborhood. Um, But we've done that. But we've also decided, well, we want raised beds for the aesthetics. Do we lose any um, room around it? You know, a little bit, I think. Yes, because you have to have area to walk around it. Right. But um, there's plenty of room and plenty of ways to garden uh, where you can make the most of a raised bed. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you don't have to have a raised bed to garden. If, if you're thinking, if one of our listeners is thinking that they want to just jump right in and they want to grow what they eat. So maybe they want to um, raise uh, what is a very common thing, a salsa garden. Mm-hmm. Um, throw throw in the tomatoes, throw in the onions, the cilantro, and the peppers, and uh, make a little salsa garden and and see how it goes. With uh, I gotta say, with every garden failure, you become so much more knowledgeable. Sure, <laughs> it's sure. the it's the failures that make you really smart. <laughs> <laughs> but most of the time, you can succeed in this in this area of the country. We have a long growing season, almost 160 days. And it's it, it, you'd have to really neglect your garden to fail. Yeah, interesting. Now I know that uh, gardening and in and kind of backyard farming and all of that has a rich history in our country, going back oh my goodness over a hundred years. And I of course longer than that, but uh, in terms of of that being something that people practice to be more self sufficient, even if they're living in town. Can you talk to that a little bit? Well, that's where we came from. And we've seen the trend, the backyard homesteading uh, grow from about uh, the early 2000s to today. So 20 years of people saying, hey, I want to get back to my roots, literally, (laughs) and grow what I eat so that I have, one, food security, two, um, have a, a, a better product to eat. I can harvest at the peak of, of ripeness. And it just tastes so much better. And for about 50 bucks uh, in seeds and, and some work, you can yield nearly about $600 worth of produce. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the, the payoff is fantastic. And it are also harkens back to, uh, you know, back in the, the early 1900s when we had all the victory gardens. And mm-hmm. um, my favorite subject, chickens, uh, where the government was actually telling us to keep chickens and raise hens. There's mm-hmm. a poster, an old poster you can Google. And um, so that was back in 1918. And then in, in more, um, you know, modern times, let's just go back 12 years to 2008 when we had a recession. Mm-hmm. In this country, we saw backyard gardening explode by 30% from what it already was. Mm-hmm. So um, people will turn to that in, in times of need. 
And when you know that you can produce your own food in the backyard, uh, there's a sense of security there. And I, I'll, you know, I'll just tell you a little story. Uh, this past week, um, I had a little extra time on my hands and I brought in all my winter squash mm-hmm. and decided to roast it and then freeze it individually. So that means you roast pieces of it and then you put pieces of it on a, on a sheet, throw that sheet um, of squash into the freezer. So they freeze individually and then you put them in um, Z- Ziploc bags or some kind of freezer container. Okay. And we'll continue to eat those until we harvest the 2020 um, growing season. Excellent. And so, you know, that's we're eating right from our land. And do we have to? Not necessarily, but I feel good about the fact that I know where that squash came from. Sure. It's delicious. And um, it didn't cost me any more money, maybe for a little bit of gas uh, in my oven to roast it. <laughs> That's it. Right. Well, you bring up a really good point, and that is all uh, all the different tips and the tricks for preserving and doing all that. If, if people are growing you know, $600 worth of produce in their backyard, that's a lot to consume. So there, there's going to be some surplus there. There is, and there's always leftovers. And I love the people who share it with their, with their uh, neighbors. But so often we hear that, oh, I can't give, I can't give my neighbors any more zucchini, you know, or something like that. So, I have long been a proponent of, you know, grow what you eat, mm-hmm. but also grow what you can preserve. And I have, I, I'm doing classes around the valley. And I, I would say I'm, you know, I'm the lazy home preserver. I want to take, I want to, I want to know the, the shortest step between point A and point B. Okay. How can I take this stuff and grow it and preserve it without as much uh, energy going into it? And I do it with tomatoes. I do it with onions. I, 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 I do mostly freezing because I have a big old freezer and I put that bad boy to use like nobody's business and I do a lot of dehydrating. Um, I do some canning, not a lot because it's just so dang time consuming. Yeah. Uh, but as an, uh, a master food preserver, we learn how to do all of it from um, you know the, the, the good old days of fermentation which was the oldest way of uh, preserving um, and dehydrating to uh, on up to even uh, freeze drying. Mm-hmm. So we learn all of that and are able to teach it. So what I, w- what I would suggest that if you are going to garden, make stuff that you can turn into food for the winter months and the spring months. Mm-hmm. Because you'll, you'll benefit from it. And it's so easy. And if you're having a little bit of a of consternation or how do I do that? There are plenty of classes out there. I teach for um, community ed and then we all, always teach through the Master Gardener program. And you can check check that out with the 2C Master Gardeners on Facebook. Now, to, to get back to the, the person who maybe they're going to be gardening for the first time, maybe they've never done it, maybe they just bought their first house and they finally have a plot of land where they could do something like this. What What kind of tools do they need to start out with? Tools in terms of uh, uh, basic gardening is I would take make sure that you have a, a shovel, <laughs> a spade, okay. and then a, a, a hand spade as well. Those two things will get you far. 
Um, I've always recommended that if you're out in the garden and you're using a, a hand spade um, to dig a big hole, you're wasting your time. Use that big shovel, yeah. dig your hole, and yeah, always use the bigger uh, tools when you're out in the garden, and then use the uh, smaller tools for the things you need to finesse. So start with that. I think you need uh, you need to make certain that you can provide water to your to whatever you grow. And everybody's water needs are different, and that's a whole other class on watering. <laughs> right. But you know, sunlight and watering, and make certain that wherever you place your garden you're going to get six to eight hours of full sunlight because a garden needs that much sunlight, not in the shade uh, or anything like that, but six to eight hours of sunlight. So there are a few, a few things will, that will grow like berries. You know, your raspberries mm -hmm. uh, don't necessarily need that that many hours, but everything else does. Okay. And you'll, you'll just be more successful. Got it. Okay, now when, when folks are preparing the, the ground – how deep do they need to go, and and can they go too deep when they're turning over soil and trying to prepare that that seed bed? If there, if you're going to uh, garden right into the ground, so you need to work up a spot, mm -hmm. loosen up the soil, and then add compost to it. Whether you buy it in bulk or buy it in a bag, add some compost to it. Uh, most of our soil is is very alkaline in our areas, mm -hmm. um, and we don't have an acidic soil here <laughs> in, in in the Treasure Valley, so to speak. That's why you don't see a lot of blueberries growing here. Okay. But by gosh, we can grow a potato like you would not believe. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. So um, you need to loosen up the soil. You need to add some compost. And then uh, what I always say is follow the directions on the seed packets. Um, okay. And, yeah. And, you know, you can always Google how deep do I need to plant a certain item? Mm -hmm. Because there's a wealth of knowledge out there. But I will say, if you want to Google the best information, say so say I'm going to um, transplant a um, bell pepper. Okay. And I'm not sure how, how deep to plant it. I'm going to do, Google transplanting bell peppers dot edu. Because you want the information that comes from a trusted source, okay. a researched source. And that's where you're going to get a university saying, hey, you know, plant it up to the dirt line that, you know, that that you have already mm -hmm. uh, from the seedling and make sure that you do these things. So it'll give you good information that way. Yeah, the difference there is they, they're going to have done research. They're going to have done different trials and experiments to find out what has worked best over a wide population of plants. That's right. And it's not just some Bubba blog or Mama blog or right. something like that. Where this is what worked for me, and anecdotally, that's fine. But you want a trusted, researched mm -hmm. source. Okay. Now, when it comes to when it comes to the soil, is there a certain depth that you get to where you have less, I guess, uh, biologicals and, and beneficial things to to growing vegetables there? Like if you if you dug down too deep and and you you kind of flipped what was on top with what's on bottom, and you went too deep, are you actually uh, are you making it a bigger challenge for your vegetables to, to grow and flourish? I, I don't see that as a, a hindrance. It all depends on your soil. Okay. And what was, was there beforehand? Um, so that's why the best thing to do, if you are just growing 
on a on a piece of land mm-hmm. that's not a raised to add that compost. Okay. Now we you don't have to turn over too much too much of the area uh-huh. or till. You know, we say turn over. That's a lot of work with one spade. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but if you, if you can till it, that's even better. Okay. Um, we always recommend tilling a, a, a piece of land in the fall and just leaving it. And that way the soil uh, gets to set up. You've okay. got the micro microorganisms in there that get to set up and you don't uh, break them up in the spring. And then you just plant from there. However... Don't let that be a, a distraction to to not sure. plant this spring. Just add some compost. Okay. Now, are there better ways to to irrigate your gardens? Uh, you know, you could you could sprinkle, you could flood, you could use drip. Uh, what do you recommend, and what are the pros right. and cons? Well, yes, you Matt, you're absolutely right. There are so many different ways, and um, so I would say one rule of thumb: if you can avoid overhead watering. Like with sprinklers uh-huh. that come come up and then fall down on the leaves, avoid that at all costs. Okay. So flood irrigation is great, and you just need to make sure that you're not getting them too, getting your plants too much water, um, and not enough. You have okay. to make sure. And, I, and there are a lot of people who understand that. I've always said, you know, if you don't know how much water you're getting, and don't put the the tuna can out under the waterer that's going to tell you how much water you get in a tuna can just <laughs> dig down and see where the water is reaching okay in your in your garden right that's uh-huh. the most telling um but i think uh if you can do irrigation or drip irrigation and um under just some kind of uh, like a like those soaker hoses if, yeah. if that's what you're going to do but something that is on the ground rather than from up above. Okay. The reason is, is, is plants are susceptible to a lot of bacterial infections. And uh, anytime water hits that on the plant, it spreads it. Okay. And you're going to have issues with it. You know how we get mildew, powdery mildew. So if you have overhead sprinklers and powdery mildew, it's, it's going to do nothing but spread. <laughs> so you got to stay away from that. Okay. So that's the main issue is it's it's not necessarily causing that, but it's it's pushing it around and, and just enhancing it. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Now, so if you were to rank, so I already know where overhead is. That's going to come in dead last, it sounds like. But if you were going to rank methods of irrigating your garden, uh, would first be drip or would first be flood? I would say, well, because flood irrigation is not available to all of us. Okay. Um, I would say drip irrigation. Okay. And when I'm saying flood, I'm thinking of like you, you dig some culverts in your garden and you use the hose to, to run the water down. Oh, oh, okay. Yes. That's, that's an excellent way to do it. Okay. And speaking of water, like if, if, if it comes to it, you are, uh, you, you decided to do the back patio, you know, in uh, garden container type gardens. Uh-huh. And you have all all of these wonderful little containers. Um, then you have to go out of town if you can't get a friend to come over and water your containers. Right. Um, so by putting, get a little cheap pool, a kiddie pool, and fill it up with probably oh I'd say three or four inches of water, and set your containers in there, and they'll wick up the moisture and be okay for a, 
a short period of time. Oh, really? Okay. That's a great mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I wouldn't do that all summer. That's not the way you want to water your plants, but, but there are ways to get around, you know, I've got to go out of town. What sure. am I going to do with my uh, container gardens? Yeah. Well, Gretchen, I am getting close to the end here. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that, that you would like to talk about or you'd like to let our listeners know? So right now is the perfect time to start some seeds in the house. Um, our last freeze is usually around Mother's Day, let's say May 10th, and then you can start putting things outside. Mm-hmm. But right now is a great time to start seeds. And um, the, the reason why we like to start seeds is that you have a whole packet of seeds. You can start, you know, a whole packet of seeds in your house of tomatoes and you get to pick from all of those starts the very strongest of the starts okay. and transplant those outside. Then you know that you are ahead of the game in terms of what you're going to have. That plant is going to be more resistant to any kind of um, uh pest or any kind of uh, illness that could come around, whether it's a bacteria or a fungus, Mm -hmm. and it's going to produce more. So that's the reason why we like to do seed starting is because you actually get to look at all the seeds that you've started and you get to choose which one to put in your backyard. When you're buying them from the, the store, when you're buying seedlings from the store, you're buying the whole lot. Yeah. You know, you're buying all of the ones, but you get to choose which ones are the best. And then you can give away all the rest or something like that. <laughs> okay. And so when you're trying to back out that date uh, from, say, a planting date of May 10th, like you just mentioned, how much time do you back out to know when to start those seeds in the house? It's, it's okay to start any kind of seed in the house in April, but for the ones that you would direct sow. And that those those will be listed on the packet, the seed packet. If it okay. says direct sow, don't start them in the house. It's not worth it. Okay. But I know people, Matt, who start their stuff in February. Oh wow. Okay. And incredible grow, you know, growing situations. They have lights and they have greenhouses and mm-hmm. all of that good stuff. But they start in February. Um, I would say right now, April, uh, th- throw. Um, snap peas in the ground right now get them in the ground right now because then you can enjoy some around june okay awesome well gretchen it is always just great to visit with you you've got so much knowledge about this if people want to they want to buy your books they want to they want to read your articles and things like that where should people go to find out more information uh probably the best place to find the books is dnb supply I am on uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook. Facebook, I have Secrets of the Lazy Urban Gardener and the Backyard Chicken Fight. And they can follow me there. And if I have any classes coming up, uh, you'll see those, especially garden classes at this time, you'll see them on um, Secrets of the Lazy Urban Gardener. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with us today. Always a pleasure. Well, thank you for being here, everybody, and thank you to Gretchen Anderson for coming on. And until next time, enjoy getting your gardens going.